Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. Yeah, I was, I was actually saying to Megs, it's like, because I haven't written a sermon for a while, you know, so like, because we had the nativity play and we had the, um, the hamper appeal, which is fantastic again, uh, Jeanette. Um, the, that's how we finished off our year. So I haven't preached since the 4th of December. So sorry if this sucks. Um, it won't. It's actually awesome. I've got, I, I really believe that God's given us a word um, for this year, for our future as a church. I'm, I, there's something, God's got something big in store for this year. I know that you hear this everywhere, but there's something big in store for us as a church, as a community. And I believe that God's always wanting to open up new doors to us in our lives, whether it's just a new door of realizing that I can actually cry during movies, whether it's a door of realizing that maybe I can read the Bible well. God is always about opening up new doors in our life. Sometimes the door is hard. Sometimes you actually have to learn how to hurt to learn how to heal. But God's wanting to do something new. He's not a stagnant God. We are stagnant. God is never. And I really, this isn't my message, but I really believe that God's wanting to do something in our church this year. Right. So I encourage you, lean in to what I'm going to say today. Can everyone do that with me? Lean in a little bit. I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> lean into what I'm saying today because this has been on my heart for a long time. And I next can tell you this. This is probably the most excited I've been in a long time about the future of my own life, about the future of this church. And so I really want to invite you into what we're doing, where we're going as a church, as our identity and whatnot. Is that good? Yeah. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's good. What's good? What are you saying to me, guys? So I have the privilege of preaching the first sermon. We always, and I always say this, is sometimes you want to try and bring out your your biggest, most emotional sermon to get to get the people responding. Um, I want to preach a three-part series over the next three weeks because I really believe that, oh, goodness, I really believe that there's something in store for us that we need to lean into. So I believe, well, sorry, right I'm calling this sermon, I am the local church. I am the local church. Look at that. I know this sounds narcissistic and people might be like, but Yahweh's name. His name is I am and all that jazz. Just bear with me a little bit. I usually preach and it ends up going somewhere quite well. So just bear with me. And if there's anything theologically incorrect, you can tell Nisha. Right. I believe that the local church has a significant part to play in the ushering in of God's kingdom on earth. Is that true? Do you believe that? I love the local church and I am the local church. And for those, like I was saying, this might sound a little bit narcissistic. Uh, for those who think that, let me unpack this for you. And I, I, I'm really excited to have this today. Who knows what this is? It's a bush It's an nativity version of a bush 
You don't always approve of what the Russians do. Yeah, so it's like, uh, it's... <laughs> 2023! <laughs> so there's three dimensions of the local church. What? Bang oh. on. What's that? Now she's like looking back in. They're just dolls. The three dimensions of the local church, and this is what I'm going to preach over the next few weeks. I am, we, you are, we are the local church. And if that goes in there, I just can't be bothered putting it back in. That goes in there, and that fit. They all fit. They're all one and the same, but they all are separate things as well. I am, you are, we are the local church. Say the person next to you, I am the local church. It was for me to get a drink of coffee during that time, but looking at this statement, I am, you are, we are the local church, I believe we are a dynamic, multifaceted, multidimensional church, and we're more than just a Sunday service. Some of us might just know church as Sunday, but we are more than just a Sunday service. We are bigger, better than that. But I also believe this whole idea of I am, you are, we are the local church is, is a depth of revelation that can come in our life. You know, You know, the reason why I say there's revelation is some of you might not like the church down the road because they're bigger than you. Or some of you might not like that, that certain church because they don't do things the way that you like doing things. There's a revelation that we need to get that helps us understand that I am, you are, we are the local church. And God needs to work in our heart to do this. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to focus on the I am the local church. So this statement that I want us to think of, just pull up the next slide please, Quill. How I live my life matters because I am the local church and I carry the presence of God wherever I go. I can go home now. How I live my life matters because I am the local church and I carry the presence of God wherever I go. What does this mean? Well, let's, let's go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God chose to dwell in temples. The temple that God used to be called Tabernacles, and that changed to something called the temple, the temple that David started and Solomon finished. And they, this temple he built so people could come and worship him and give sacrifices for the atonement of their sins. So atonement basically means that your sins are forgiven. So I'll come to this temple in Jerusalem, and I would sacrifice an animal uh, an unblemished animal and my sins will be forgiven. So that was the temple of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we've got this guy called Jesus and he starts referring to his own body as the temple. In John 2, 19 to 21, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, the 
It has taken 46 years to build this temple. Imagine if you had to wait 46 years to worship God. Hey guys, we've got a building permit. <laughs> See in 27 yeah? <laughs> it's like, that could be terrible. You know, you're, you're waiting. You're just waiting and waiting and waiting to be able to worship God. 46 years to build this temple. Are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple that Jesus spoke of was his temple. So at Jesus' crucifixion, there was a curtain that shielded something called the inner room, the Holy of Holies, where only a priest could enter the presence of God on behalf of the Jewish people. If you look at the makeup of the temple, there was one final room that's like that, you know, in the in your computer games, it's like the final boss, you know, you go behind the curtain, it's like the final level. You know, it's that that was only one person could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And do you have you ever heard of that? Um, that practice they put in place where they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist so if he went into the, the Holy of Holies because God was so holy, so glorious, it would strike people down and they would die because of how glorious he would. So they would hear the bell ring. they just pull them out. You know, the Holy of Holies wasn't a legit, it wasn't, it was no joke, basically. So when we're talking about this Holy of Holies, we're talking about this sacred place where only one person after another, high priest would pass away, new high priest would step up in this place. They would go on behalf of humanity because they couldn't, they could, you could control one person and they'd be unblemished and cleaning their hands and doing the process right. Imagine if all of us just rocked up and it's like, are you sinless today? Yeah, of course I'm sinless. Let me go in. Well, you know, it's like, there's this thing where God's like, all right, the Holy of Holies was this real intimate, sacred place. But there was a curtain. And let me tell you how big this curtain is. It was 60 feet long, 30 feet high, and four inches thick. That's, that's a blackout curtain if you ever wanted to see one, you know. You get some good sleep behind that one, you know. But... It was made up of 72 squares and they were sewn together. This veil formed a barrier between the glory of God and man. And it required 300 people to lift this curtain. 300 people. I put up a blackout curtain in Ollie's room. Took me. Uh, I did it by myself. This curtain took 300 people to lift. It was big. What is the significance of this event? The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that accomplished what the temple in Jerusalem never could. Through Jesus' victory, he made a way for God not to not only dwell with his people, but for God to dwell in his people. Jesus shows us what it means to live as God's temple, allowing his presence to dwell with his people with no need for a physical building. So let's jump ahead to 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So all of a sudden, it goes from being this building to being people. I am the temple in which God's presence now dwells. I am, you are, we are, 
the temple. So are you an ancient building? Well, some of us are. I'm joking. <laughs> some of us are broken and had, had heart attacks and are colorblind and have tortuous ear canals and deviated septum and bad back. I was like, New Year, New Year, I went for a walk on the treadmill and I had a bad back for five days. <laughs> God's renewing everything. So that's, are you an ancient building? No, but if you are a follower of Jesus, it frames your entire spiritual life and calling. Think about that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to say, what should I do with my life, Lord? If you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't say, how should I treat people? It should be very simple. Look to the Word. Pray about it. Just be kind. Just do, do good to others. You know. Do we need to rebuild an ancient building in Jerusalem to meet with God? No, because God is calling us to function as... Get this, little mobile temples where God's presence dwells. I can't go into it now, but the Bible Project unpacks it really well, where it calls the people who inhabit the presence of God uh, pockets of heaven. So I'm a pocket of heaven. So wherever I go, I'm a pocket of heaven. I'm a pocket of heaven. And so wherever I'm going, the, the presence of God indwells me. Is God restricted by you and me? Of course not. He chooses to dwell in all of us, to know us, to transform us, to sanctify us, to love us. This is the thing. Like, when God was in the temple, it's because he chose to be in the temple. It's not because he couldn't be out, not be out of it. It's like, no, I'm going to choose it. When Solomon finished the temple, God said, fine, I will come and inhabit your building, your temple, but if you turn from me, I'll destroy it. So there's this, there was this condition that was there, because this is pre-Jesus. The great thing is that we're not restricted by bricks and mortar, mortar, so we can take the presence of God where? Anywhere. Wherever we go. So then, hear me out. Technically then, that means that I am the local mobile church temple. Technically, I am the church. And trust me, I wrote this, and trust me, I know, I know that the Greek word for church is ecclesia, which means a gathering or assembly, but you just have to come back next week for that. Today we're talking about I am. But there's a, there's a deeper truth here that we often miss. So just like a babushka doll, our sanctified babushka dolls, yeah. We're going to turn out to face your front on. Some of us are very content to look at one dimension. You're the church. You're doing a really bad job. You're the church, and I don't like the way you do that. You're the church, and look how poorly you're representing Christ. You're the church, and you've, you treated me poorly. You're obviously not what the church should be. I know what the church should be. You're the church. And then all of a sudden, when you start going down the line, you're like, hold up, you're the church. Wait, we're, we're the church? Hold up, I'm the church? And you start getting this depth of revelation that realizes that when I'm pointing my finger and saying, you're the church, well, I'm, I'm in that church. I'm that babushka doll that goes inside that. So I'm kind of like, 
pointing at myself. You're the church. We are the church. <laughs> I know that one. It's like every finger's pointing at you, the three fingers pointing back. You know, it's just like I thought it was funnier to do that. <laughs> but if we go through the dimensions and realize, hold up, I am the local church. God has not restricted me by bricks or mortar. We then have to start asking tough questions. And who likes asking tough questions? Yeah. We'll ask some tough questions later together. Yeah. It's like, I love asking tough questions. It's, I don't know why. It's, um, it's just something I've been brought up with. You know, it's like, why don't, why don't I ask that question about myself? Why don't I reflect on that, that thing in my, my life, that resistance or that, that attitude? Why don't I reflect on that? Because if I am the local church, this is my question. Do you represent the church well? Or rather, not the church, do you represent Christ well? If someone wants to look at you and say, hold up, you're the, you, you, you're the local church, would they see Jesus? Or would they see your bitterness? If I am the local church, how is my soul? Would they see someone who's living from a place of freedom, living from a place where there's springs of life coming out? Or would they see someone who is angry, is broken, has unresolved relationships, he doesn't treat other people well. And I read a book recently called The uh, Beauty Will Save the World. And I'd encourage anyone to read it by Brian Zahn. If I am the local church, does my life make Christ look beautiful? When's the last time someone said, hey, the way that you live your life, I want that. When's the last time someone looked at you and said, hey, there's just something different about you? Because I feel like Jesus drew people to him yeah. by the way that he lived, by the way he treated people, by his back upside down kingdom, by the way that he lived out the Beatitudes, by the way that he opposed the Roman Empire, the kingdom of the world. I feel like there was something about Jesus that drew people to himself. So if I am the local church, come on, how I live my life matters because... I am the local church, and I carry the presence of God where, wherever I go. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 is the Great Commission. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, something we use to get people G'd up all the time. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was not given directly to churches. This was given directly to people. The reason I tell you that is churches weren't formed until Acts 2. So Matthew 28, churches weren't formed. The church didn't even exist until the day of Pentecost. So this is before. So Jesus hasn't said, all right, ecclesia, church, group, gathering, assembly, I commission you. He said, Peter, James, John, Sally, Megs, Maddie, Jacob, Stu, Phil, Chris, T. Cool. I'll go through everyone. It's like, you have been commissioned. 
<laughs> you have been commissioned. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go therefore. It's not about the church. While it is also kind of about the church. But we're talking about I am. I am the church. The Great Commission is for me. So if I'm on mission, if I've been commissioned, it's my responsibility because I am the local church. And we spoke about this last year when I spoke about Missio Day, the mission of God. But is it my responsibility to start a new church with programs and events? Maybe. Maybe God's called you to pastoring. Probably not. We're an elite bunch, you know. <laughs> it's also a terrible job. So, <laughs> I do not wish it upon yourself. But your greatest responsibility will always be 100% unequivocally your life. Your greatest responsibility is not, do I serve in church? Should I start a church? I've got a really cool name for a church, by the way. Like, it's called Freedom City. Called Freedom City. <laughs> your greatest responsibility will be your life. Yeah. I, I posted something up on social media the other day. I post maybe three or four times a year now, so you know this. I really thought long and hard about this one. Um, I, I stole it from a book. So it's, this is a Hasidic rabbi quote. A Hasidic rabbi is basically um, a Jewish, someone who practiced Judaism, but very um, methodically, very strictly. And so they follow a lot of the, the rules um, of the Old Testament. Uh, on his deathbed, an old Hasidic rabbi said, when I was young, I set out to change the world. That's a bit hard to read, isn't it? When I grew older, I perceived that this was too ambitious, ambitious so, I started to, so I set out to change my state. This too, I realized as I grew older, was too ambitious, so I sort of set out to change my town. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. Now as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. If I had started with myself, maybe then I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, or even the state, and who knows, maybe even the world. Oh, chills. It starts with me, because I am the local church. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows springs of life. If we are truly serious about reaching the world with the love of God, you need to guard your heart. And guard your heart does not mean don't let anything in. Guard your heart actually means to allow God to come in and to transform your heart. It's not a defensive thing. So, so much of us, so much of the rhetoric in the church and basically where we've come from, the Pentecostal movement, but not just the Pentecostal, the Protestant movement rather, has dipped into something called the holiness movement, which effectively was, I have received my holiness from Jesus at the beginning of my faith, now I have to protect it so I can't tarnish my faith, so I can't go to the movies, I can't date someone from outside of my denomination, or after I can't date someone who's not a Christian. I can't do all, I can't go out and enjoy certain things. I have to vote this kind of, like the way that we've, we've created it is that we've, we've allowed the world 
And our fears, to, to a point, to shape the way that we live. As opposed to saying, Jesus, who are you? And how have you called me to live and be in this world? We've got, we've, we guard our hearts so tightly that we don't even let Jesus in. Don't let God, let God heal your heart. Don't become bitter or insular. So if you are the local church, and I, I know this might irk you a little bit because obviously you're not a building, but you are a representation of the local church or, or what the church is like, would you attend your church? So if I'm the local church, and I'm going around and I'm like, yeah, I'm the local church, come along, it's great. And someone says, oh, is that what your church is going to be like? Oh, I don't know. Just stay home. Yeah, it's like, do, have you ever taken a moment and thought, I actually represent Jesus really well? Or have you ever taken a moment and thought, God, I need some help? There's some areas in my life that I just need some help. I always... I tell Megs this, there's always times where I'll be like, all right, God, I, I just want my soul to be sweeter. Or recently, one of them was, Lord, I want to feel emotions more. And so, I, man, that year was rough. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt those emotions more. And I just say, God, like, when God knocks on your heart and says, hey, there's something in your heart that actually I want to transform, you respond by saying, all right, God, oh, this next have long, walk with me, show me, teach me how to live like you did. I can tell you that there's a lot of people who are never going to come to Freedom City Church. A lot. Like heaps. Like lots um, are not going to come. But we are all going to meet and spend a lot of time with people who aren't going to come to the church, yeah? How many hours there in the week? 168. 168. Do you know how many you spend not here at a church service? About 166. Some of the faithful, about 164. Some of the really holy. Yeah. So when this when this service is over, little Gugushkami is going to go into the world separate from a church service from the global church. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go like, to my cafe and I'm like, hey Charlie, hey Andrew, how you doing? Yeah, really good. And the boys sleeping there, yeah, they're just sleeping really well. Yeah? How are you doing? I'm a bit stressed, man. Oh, really? I can keep going for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually wondering how long that could go. <laughs> I can't depend on the worship or the coffee or the kids' program when I'm just living life. I can't depend on the pastor or the signage when I go into my world. I can't depend on them to share the gospel. My life has to be that picture and that message of the gospel. My life is what people are looking at. You know that the Sermon on the Mount, 5,000 people came and looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and it says that they were watching them to see how they would act. 
They were watching them. They weren't, they weren't actually invited into that sermon. Jesus, I'm speaking to 12 people. You're just watching me. You know, so they're all like, all right, you say that you love your enemy, prove it. You say that you're slow to anger, prove it. You say that you mourn, prove it. You say that you make, prove it. People are looking at us. People don't trust the church, unfortunately, but they're, they're open to Jesus. People are looking at us. My life is on display. So I better guard my heart because what's what will spring out of it will spring will flow springs of life or will flow the reality of where my heart is actually at. So let's make 2023 a year we get our hearts right. Because there are people who need the local church. So I'm going to finish with, with a story about the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, verse 25 to 36. We'll pull up on the screen. There's, they're trying to test Jesus here. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Have you ever thought about that? Who's actually my neighbor? It's easy to love Tim, he's cool. <laughs> it's easy to love Chris. I've loved him for a long time. Yeah, so, and I choose for him to be in my life. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers. He stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed him by on the other side. But a Samaritan. Samaria are referred to by the Jews as dogs, half-breeds. The reason being is Samaria is part of, um, basically, you've got 12 tribes of Judah. Two of them, Dan, uh, Benjamin and Judah, are the only ones that remained as Jews Jude, uh, in Judaism. The rest of them went and became Samaria. They departed from the 12 tribes of Judah. And they went away, and a lot of them married into different um, cultures and married into Sumerian culture. The problem was that Samaria are actually part of people who would then um, come and attack the Jews, the Israelites. So all of a sudden, the Samaritans are effectively on par with, you would say, that maybe Jewish people who abandoned them to the Nazis. Jewish people who betrayed other Jewish people to the Nazis. But just think of something along that line. Someone who basically turned their back on their original nation and then started to betray their original nation. So a Samaritan of all people, a betrayer, a traitor, treason, walks along the road and sees someone who hates him as much as he is hated. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. The Hebrew word from the book of Leviticus 19.8 that tra- uh, for the word neighbor is translated ria, which means friend, friend, companion, or associate with the same root as a verb that means to associate with. This meaning of someone we know is what we typically think of when we see this passage. Love your neighbor, a friend, companion, someone as myself. But in the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek version of the Bible, of the New Testament, in the, the Gospel of Luke, the word has a different meaning. The word plesios means near or close to. The Greek concept of neighbor has a spatial meaning that is absent in the Hebrew. Jesus was speaking to a Greek community. Jesus' use use of the parable drives home the fact that the linguistic shift also means a theological shift. So that one's neighbor can be anyone nearby. The issue is that our neighbours have become people that we like, people that we choose to have in our lives. Because I don't hang around with those people. You know, you, do you know that verse, bad company corrupts good character? Have you heard that verse before? I've heard that abused. Because that doesn't actually mean what we think it is. I've heard this quoted so many times to justify not hanging around non-Christians or just weird people. Uh, bad character. It's a bit weird. Do you know that Paul is referring to the bad company as someone who teaches that there is no resurrection? So in the Corinthian church, there were people saying, oh, Jesus did not resurrect. So there's no resurrection life. So he's not talking about bad company, oh, that person's weird, or they, they smoke, they drink, they swear, all this sort of stuff. He's literally saying, these people are telling the Corinthian church that there's no resurrection. They are bad company that will corrupt your character because when we don't believe that we miss an integral part of the the gospel so he's trying to say I'm saving you by making this differentiation but I've seen so many people use that verse to say "Uh, you're just a bit you're just not a good influence on me it's corrupting my character yeah because tell me if you you get this. It's easy to love people that we've chosen to be around. It's not always easy easy to love those we don't choose to be around. This is where the whole idea of local, I know that I've said local church the whole time, the the whole idea of local, and the word means characterised by or related to position in space, having a definite spatial form or location. If I am the local church, come on, and I carry the presence of God wherever I go, then my neighbour is not just the people of Hilton, it's not just the people of Kadena, it's not just the people of Steelwood, it's not just the people of Yanjibab or Belia. My neighbour is whoever is nearby me at any given time. They're my neighbour. And how I live my life matters 
because I am the local church in that moment to the neighbors who are nearby me and I carry the presence of God wherever I go. How will a church grow? Yeah, you know, like say we want to jump from to a hundred people. How will the church grow? Well, I don't think it's gonna particularly grow inside the building. I think it's gonna grow if we start looking outside the building and realizing that my life is that testimony, that witness. When I realize that I am the local church, if I guard my heart, the church will reap the benefit of life flowing out of me. And the world will reap the benefit of the church that is full of people that realize that their lives matters. You close your eyes, let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City Podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.